second to last lesson. Let's go ahead and pray and then we will begin. Father, we thank you for another week where we can open your word and see what you have to say to us. I pray that um, we would um, represent you well, that we would walk in a way that's worthy, that um, as our name reflects that we are Christians, we are Christ followers, we are believers. We are people of faith, so I pray that you would help us to believe what you say in your word. And then uh, may we go out in the power of your spirit and do the things that you tell us to do. Um, These things that are becoming of believers and bring glory to your name. In your name we pray. Amen. So this week we are talking about sharing with one another and the goal of our discussion time is going to be to discover what the Bible teaches on sharing our resources with one another. About sharing our resources with one another. And what I would like to attempt to do, I gave you quite a bit of information. Really not information, I just gave you a lot of, uh, not much space, but a lot of text. And what I'd like to do is Um, Spend the majority of our time, if we could, just looking at these texts that I have listed for you and try to glean um, just what does the Bible say about sharing with one another. Um, We'll start with 1 Corinthians 16 and just try to, I try to give you a little bit of space in between each uh, text where you could write out a principle or two that you see and that we might be able to glean together and then we'll move to some obstacles that present themselves to sharing with one another, um, address any questions that we might have, and then uh, just end on a principle or two that we didn't discuss uh, earlier on. So the first text, 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, I'll read it, and then um, I'm going to lean hopefully heavily on you. I've already done my work, so I'm hoping that you guys will participate in and uh, dive right in. So 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 and 2. Now about the collection for the Lord's people. Do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. So what does this text have to contribute to our understanding of giving of our resources for our brothers and sisters. Once again, no tricks here. Well, it's essentially a command to do that, to give to the... In the context of it, he told the church in Galatia to do it, he's telling the church in Corinth to do it, it's like the church would do it the people in the church would do it. So it's it's somewhat of a command to do it. Okay. Maybe a principle instead of a command. It's something that you planned or not 
just throw something there at the last minute if it's something that's a priority yeah. to you. Yeah. Something that's planned, it's a priority. Betty had to say it's it's planned in that each one of you should be doing this setting aside so there's plans saving it up even anything else that might um, stick out to you based on this text mm, I want to say so that when I come no collection will have to be made so it's already set aside you don't have to worry about getting it up or saving it up it's time to make, you know, put it in. Okay. So that would indicate that maybe when Paul got to them, there must be some sort of, you know, maybe collection that they did do to give money to him or funds to him for what he was doing. Right. And this way they didn't have to do it when he got there for whatever yeah. reason. What about the the uh, frequency? Every week. The first day. Yeah, so the first day of every week, so when they gathered Sunday, first day of every week when the body of believers gathered in the early church, they were doing this. Now, I, uh, I don't necessarily think that this necessitates that every week you have to be giving, like, you could just give it monthly or bi-weekly when you get paid or something like that. Um, I highly doubt anyone really gets paid on a weekly basis anymore, <laughs> um, it, it seems. So I think that maybe the priority is just there's a regularly planned giving. Um, maybe if we principalized it uh, out to that. So we have, so helping others giving is a command. It ought to be regular, it ought to be planned, and it ought to be in keeping with your income. So the guy who's making a million a year and the guy who's making 50 a year, uh, 50,000 that is, um, it's not a competition, as Sally mentioned. Next text. Well, actually, anything before I move on? Any, any other? Kind of show the measure of faith, too, because it is the first thing you're given. Well, that's a good point because, especially in this context, they they didn't have salaries, right? So that is a big step of faith. That's a good point. Come on Second Corinthians eight verses one through nine. 
And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Which, if I read that again, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That just doesn't make human sense, does it? Um, For I testify, verse 3, that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace in your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So how about this text? More issues involved in the in the context of the of the narrative here. I think that they were so excited about the work that was being done um, for Christ that it just gave them, no matter even when they had nothing, it was joyful for them to give what they didn't have mm-hmm. for the sake of Christ to for their. Yeah. I'm not sure what it means by the sentence. It says they gave themselves first of all to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. I don't know if that's still is talking about their financial giving. Or if they gave themselves in terms of service or activities that they did in support of the ministry, you know, I'm not sure if that if that's what that still talking about the financial giving. Well, I highlighted that phrase and and put it in bold and. One of the things that I wrote down kind of as a principle is that in this, I could be completely off my rocker in this, so this is not inspired, right? And I didn't find it in any commentary either. So, But the way that struck me is in kind of a parallel way to what's the summary of the law? Love God, love others. And so what they're re- um so this is kind of, seemed to me kind of as the driving motivation for ultimately their enthusiasm in giving. 
Um, why were they so generous? Why were they so, so enthusiastic about the work? Because they gave themselves wholeheartedly in love to God and then love to others. Um, now, that was just, so, again, not inspired. Didn't look at a commentary. Didn't look at any study notes. So I could be way potentially way off on that. But that's just uh, that's kind of a note that I I wrote down. What about uh, verse three? Uh, Paul writes, "For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability." Able means um, in that uh, in keeping with the First Corinthians sixteen verse, to give proportionally based on your income. I don't think I don't think it was requiring that these people give everything they had, not have anything to live on. Right. You know so. Giving, giving beyond their ability, maybe they were giving more than they, not more than they had, but they took away from maybe living expenses to give, which made a hardship on them to be able to give. Yeah. Like maybe, you know, maybe they, uh, their entertainment budget went to zero that month, you know, instead of, uh, have them or they cut back on their food bill, you know, whatever. They they gave more than they had the ability to give because they felt it was necessary to do that for the, for the ministry of the gospel. Yeah. I wrote down their giving was generous and uncomfortable because they gave as much as they were able. So it wasn't like they were just trying to see how little they could give, right? They were trying to give as much as they could give and even beyond their ability. I mean, at times, that means that they were probably giving and it was making them their lives uncomfortable. Um, or, as Betty put, it was a sacrifice. I think it was Betty. Um, so I don't have an answer to this last question, but what do you think it... Uh, and, and I'm going to pick on you, Pete, because I think you said it. So, in, at the end of verse 7 where he says, um, see to it that you also excel in this grace of giving. What a... What is that? What does that... I mean, what does it mean? I don't know. I, I kind of think of it as... You know, we we are gifted with a lot, and we don't really own anything. It all belongs to God. So the, the grace that He's shown us, we should show that same grace to our brothers and sisters. And that's what I think it's pointing to. It's saying, "Hey, you've been given this by God." Um, it, you're a steward of it. You're not, or you know, you're you're you've been given this by God. Now use it for the good of 
your people, you know, the, the, the church. So I, that's kind of what, I, what I'm seeing. You know, it's, he's given us our, our means for a reason. Just as he's shown us grace, we're supposed to show grace to others because there's going to be people in the in the church family that that are struggling. There's going to be people that are doing well, mm-hmm. uh, and if if that's the case, we should be helping those that are struggling. Yeah, grace is giving what is not or what is un or what is grace is giving. Um, to the undeserving. Grace is giving what is not deserved to the undeserved. It's I don't know what I'm saying. Erase. (laughs) Edit out whatever I'm saying. All I can think is from a Christian rap song, Grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. Um, And then I can think of Awana. God's unmerited favor. <laughs> but I can't think of... I had another definition somewhere lodged up there and my brain must be smoothing out and I don't have any more wrinkles I left. Think so. something like this. You, got a, you have a church here and Paul's coming from the church in Jerusalem. Right. And the, the grace is they don't know that the people in that other church most likely. And they may have people that are struggling over there. So they're giving just because... You know they're out of their out of the grace, really. Out of love for the right. Lord and right. His people. Yeah. This is a privilege given to us, hmm. not a, right. a debt. Right. right. Yeah, it's not a duty. Mm-hmm. It's a duty, but it ought to be a delightful duty. Mm-hmm. Which. Thank you, Sally. That's a great segue into the next one. 2 Corinthians 9, verses 6 through 15. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their heart will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Okay, so I'm just going to set aside one one whole discussion that we could have that we're not going to have tonight. And that is... Um, 
what the, the whole controversy of like prosperity gospel stuff because you could, as I was reading, I guarantee you're sitting there thinking, well, if I just sow a seed of faith with Creflo Dollar or, uh, you know, whoever's on the TV, then uh, Benny Hinn or, you know, Paula White or whoever those people are or anyone on TBN. So if I just, you know, sow my seed of faith to that guy so he can buy another airplane um, or another Corvette that, you know, we're going to... They're promising God's blessing on us, and we're going to get more of that back. Um, I'm not even going there because I ho- I'm, I'm trusting that we all know that that's bogus and false teaching. Um, and this, you can tell right off the bat, this is one of the texts that you could just totally see them hamming up to make a work for their agenda. They do that. I mean, they oh, I know. But we ain't going there, okay? Because I don't, I don't even want to waste our time talking about that. Is it so, interesting that his name is Dollar? Yes, that is, that is bad. But we are dad, not going there. If you want to, if you really, that's a good one. That's a good one. If you really want to listen to a good song about that, uh, there's a, a, a Christian rap artist named Shy Lin, and he has a song called False Teachers. You should go on on YouTube and listen to it, and he calls out every single one of them just about um so it's great shylin s-h-a-i i believe his last name is lin l-i-n-n-e i think and the the song is called false teachers and it is a rap song so for those of you uh conservative non uh, uh urban urbanites it will it might shock your systems a little bit but it is He's really awesome. He also has albums called Lyrical Theology 1 and 2, and those are awesome. So for me, who loves theology, to hear that put into rhymed rap, it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, he raps about the hypostatic union. He raps about amillennialism. He raps about uh, uh, limited atonement. For those good Calvinists out there. Um, anyway, enough. I should get a little uh, incentive for all that plug. But anyway, so what principles can we glean from this text in Second Corinthians about giving? There's a difference between the purposes for which we give our money today than they did in the first century. Um, I get the impression from especially the text in Acts that's on the back page that... uh, Well, we're not there yet. I know. But the church was more of a communal type of uh, thing than it is today. I don't know that they all maybe lived near each other or something like that, but it looks like they ate their meals together and they shared in everything that they did. And, and I don't, I don't want to get ahead of you, but they gave their money so that everybody in the congregation, it seems like, could be supported by that giving, as well as the Apostle Paul in his missionary work. But we don't, we don't necessarily do that today. People here at 
the community don't give their money so that those who don't have a job can come here and eat every day. You know, that's not that's not what we do in today's society. But we give our money to further the ministry of proclaiming the gospel, supporting missionaries, running this organization with our giving. So it's a little bit different. But the point is, we give our money, and we're supposed to do it cheerfully. So that however we're set up to function, whether it's in a first century church or whether in 21st century church, we give our money to that organization so that it can prosper and function in whatever we are doing in it. In this case, supporting our pastor and the staff and the building and missionaries and the spread of the gospel and all the stuff that we do here at community or what we do at inner city. So it's kind of makes you wonder if we're, if uh, American Christianity has got things out of whack, because we're so um, organizational. Even though, I mean, one of the things that attracted me to community is that they get that church is a body of believers. It's not a program or. Um, just merely a structural organization, um, a business organization. Um, yet, no matter what way you slice it, probably nearly every church in America, by default, is operated like a business. And I mean, it has to be, um, and, and by, based on tax codes and whatnot. But we we have. Sometimes I wonder if we've gone so far adrift that we look at church as, well, we get together once a week, if we're really good twice a week, and and it's church is only when we gather, but we're still the church. And I think what, what my dad's pointing out, that I'm jumping on that soapbox, is that they, they didn't have that. I don't know if they had that uh, concept of, church that we're only the church when we're together on Sundays and Wednesdays. They were always the church because they just did life together. I have a friend of mine at work that um, it was something that I really appreciated about him as as I was having lunch with him years ago and he was going to a church in downtown Detroit called Restore and, and, and he was really, really working hard to try to get shift the focus of his people at his church to think about church that way and that communal everyday sort of thing rather than just we're only a church when we gather together. But I think that that does play into things here. So Dad, you were saying that we need to um, be eager or uh, to be uh, a giver out of a cheerful heart. Right. Um, Not under compulsion. You know, uh, many times, and I, yeah, I've probably been guilty of this myself, you know, um, well, I could, I could use that extra money this week or something, but, and I, I know I really got to write that check for the church this week, you know, and sometimes it's like, wow, I, maybe I can write it next week, you know, uh, <laughs> but uh, then I... I admit there's been this fear that I had that about the sowing and the reaping. You know that if I if 
I didn't, and I kept that money back, you know, the engine in my car is going to blow up. And, <laughs> I mean, really? And, 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 and uh, you know, that, that money I was going to give on Sunday, and I got to go to repair the car, and it's like, Lord, saying, see, you ship, you ship. And, and honestly, I mean, that's that's gone through my mind in, in years past. And I, you know, and it's not, I don't want to, I want to give my money that way. I will give it because I love the Lord and I, I want it to be used for, for whatever inner city choose to use it for, whether it's, you know, work at the seminary or more missionaries or whatever it might be, you know. So here's a couple principles. So my dad touched on one. Um, that we are giving ought to be done with an eager, cheerful heart. Another one I had um, was it's a matter of personal, spirit-led conviction. Um, Because verse 7 says, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. So um, um, so rather than, than trying to say, everyone... You know, give fifty dollars this week. It's it's well. What is God in His Spirit? Because we've talked before at length about um, keeping in step with the Spirit, a lot uh, being Spirit driven as believers and Spirit led. So, what is the Spirit laying in your heart to give? And then, lastly, um, I think it's uh, here at the tail end of verse eleven. It says your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God, and I think that's an important thing to realize that our generosity results in glory to God. Um, we might never, we might never even see that. Um, you know, I, I have been, I, I was never one of those people, and I didn't really need it because I had a dad and mom who uh, busted their tails to give me a college education debt-free, which was, you know, not what I deserved. Um, But, so I was never one of those college students that you hear of, like, an anonymous gift goes in their mailbox, they run out of the post office, and like, holy cow, their whole school bill's been paid for, right? But (laughs) I, I remember one summer when I wasn't able to work in 2000. Four, I think it was. I wasn't able to work, and I was teaching it in her city, and um, I had surgery that summer, and basically I wasn't allowed to lift anything heavier than a milk jug. Which I'm like, well, what in the world can I do? Lay there and do nothing. <laughs> and I wasn't able to work, and I got two, one an anonymous gift, and another from the deacons. Um, I got four thousand dollars worth of gifts that summer. Um, to make up for the money I could have made, you know, working somewhere in a side job. And um, those, the, the thanks might have never got around, you know, the praise that resulted to God might have never got around to those people. I mean, thank you notes were given, but, I mean, one person was anonymous. I mean, yeah. and uh, that resulted, their generosity resulted in the praise to God. So then our last text is Acts 4. Verses 32 through 37, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. Can you imagine that for just a second? So in our church... 
that they were all of such one mind and heart, and that the power of the resurrection and God's grace was so compelling to their each other, to the the fellow believers, that not an, a single person was was found in need. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Wowzers. When was the last time you or I went and sold our our second car and brought the money and said, hey, Pastor Ken, could you give this to someone who needs a place to live or for food to eat this month? Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So what can we glean from this? Other than all of us really, really stink at this. It says that no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. That would be very hard for me. If I brought in my TV set, <laughs> I'd want to watch what I want. <laughs> and I, I think it's just that possession, that possessiveness you have about it's mine. Mm. You're like a little child. <laughs> you sound like Hadley right now. <laughs> That's mine, Kaden. <laughs> think, think about the time frame again. What, what did the people in the first century have besides uh, maybe a place to live, a tent to live in, or land that they maybe somehow, however they acquired land back then, uh, and they had their animals? Yeah, but do you not think that they, they I mean, they yeah. had the same sinful dispositions that you and I have, and I, I guarantee that they were as attached to their things as we are attached to our things. We're just a far more individualistic society. So you actually have the opportunity because you have electricity and a satellite or a cable going into your house that you can watch those things. I mean, that didn't even exist. So I wrote, believers are open-handed, realizing God is the source of all their resources. And I think we are exactly the opposite most of the time. We're close, close, we're tight-fisted people. Even though we want to think of ourselves as open-handed, we're tight-fisted people because, like Sally so honestly confessed, she doesn't want to give anyone her TV. Dang it, that's her LED, t- you know, 1080p TV that she's not given to anybody. 70 inch. 70 inch 55 inch UHD whatever 4K 5K now yeah with her Apple TV the new version you know she's not giving up her Netflix not giving up my iPad I can sit in bed and watch TV on right we're when we really think about well, yeah, you put the money in the offering plate, and I put the money in the offering plate, and we we do our thing. And maybe if we're really um, sensitive, we put some money in the offering plate uh, four times a year after the Lord's Supper. 
But let's just forget the offering plate. How often? I mean, who doesn't eat dinner at night? Okay, so that means all of us do. So what about inviting someone over to eat with you? How many, I mean, honestly, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but how many of us have invited someone else in our church over to share a meal? I mean, every one of us eats dinner. Why not? That's something simple. Are we willing to even give of our food? To spend a little extra money every month, just, um, you know, maybe like, have a host if you're doing the Dave Ramsey thing, right? Like, so you got your envelopes, and I've learned that envelopes and women typically don't go well together. Um, <laughs> it's confusing, and I totally get it. Um, you got like 50 envelopes. I felt so bad for Mallory. I finally just gave her one envelope one day. Like, just here, here's all the money I got. Just good luck. <laughs> but. What about having your own envelope that says hospitality and put 60 bucks in or 100 bucks or 20 bucks and use that money to bring half people over your house? I'm not sure if it's even about money sometimes, but about giving up your time. Yeah. Yeah. I know instances in inner city where people have had a need for uh, maybe something's wrong with their car and it's the only vehicle they got and someone else in the church has found out about it and they either take their car and get it take that person's car and get it fixed for them mm-hmm. or say hey here's here's a couple hundred bucks get your get a new set of tires on her or whatever so that you can get back and forth to work um, I've told Troy knows about that toll a gazillion times. When I was on the deacons, we used to, the deacons count the money at Inner City Pray like they do here. Count the offerings before it goes to the bank. And um, time and time again, I can remember even when Dr. Rice was there, Dr. Rice would stand up sometimes on a Sunday night and he'd say, there's somebody in our church that just got evicted from their house or something. And they need, they need X amount of dollars to get into the new stuff and we're going to take up an offering tonight and help them out and they take the offering up and say Dr. Reisler said they needed $2,000 inner city would take up a $10,000 offering and it's because because of our size not because we're a better church or we're just bigger than you guys you know but um, I don't know how many times even Pastor Dornis said somebody gave the church a gift and we're putting it into this fund. They want it to go to the deacons fund, which is our fund for helping people that have needs in the church. You know, and I'm not talking about three, four hundred dollars either. It's big sums of money that, that people give to to do that. And more than likely, that's people that have it. But there's also times that people that don't have it throw money in the plate and say, hey. And they don't want they don't want their name known. They just like the stuff that Troy got with it the year he was sick. They don't want their name known. They just they just want to give because they can. 
or because they feel the need to give. And, and it's today it seems like there, there's other things we can do too. Help people move if they need just some, you know, some brawn and some muscle, or they need to borrow your truck or a trailer or whatever. You know, uh, there's lots of ways we can do it without having to give money too. You know, so. Let's just wrap up the scripture section. So, uh, we are commanded to give. It's a step of faith because it's often the first thing that we're giving. Uh, helping others is, is a regular and planned thing. It's ought to be in keeping with our income. It's considered a grace. Um, giving is to be generous and, and even at times, at least here in Second Corinthians, was uncomfortable and it was a result of love for God and others. Um, it was a matter, it, it is a matter of personal spirit-led conviction. It's done with an eager, cheerful heart and it results, our generosity in giving results in praise to God. And then this last text, um, believers are open-handed with their money realizing that it's not theirs in the first place. So let's talk about some obstacles. What are some obstacles to, and obviously we've touched on some of them, um, but what are some obstacles to, actually, you know what, I'm not even going to ask you. I'm just going to give you a couple, um, but I want to, because I'm just looking at the time and we got like 10, 15 minutes left, and I want to make sure that we, at least get to this. So I'm going to say the biggest, I'm, I would suspect the biggest op- obstacle to our giving is that we are materialistic. We love our stuff. We love us. <laughs> we love ourselves. Therefore, we love the stuff that we have that makes ourselves feel great. Yeah. And along with that is poor management of what God has provided for us. You know, what we do earn, it's poor management. Yeah. Because if we love ourselves, then we're going to love the stuff that we have that helps ourselves feel comfortable. And then, when things are uncomfortable, we decide we're going to poorly manage our, our resources to ensure that our comfort doesn't change because we love ourselves. A couple texts for you to chew on and for me to chew on. I don't want to be preaching down to you because I'm probably as guilty, if not more, than you are in this. Matthew six or Matthew chapter six, verses nineteen through twenty-four. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one serves two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. 
Where's your heart? Is it on you? And thereby on your comfort? On your money? On your stuff? Or is it on God? And I would challenge you to read that. And then does anyone know what immediately follows in the Sermon on the Mount after those verses? What topic does Jesus address in the Sermon on the Mount right after? Evil doers? No. No? Therefore, do not worry. So remember, the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking primarily to his disciples and then by extension everybody else that is listening, right? Now think about it. He's called his disciples to a radical life, right? They are to abandon everything. Guys, live for me. Don't live for this stuff. You either serve me or you serve yourselves. Either You either pursue me or you pursue money. And remember, what these, some of these guys were pretty well off. Fishermen, tax collectors. These guys were making some serious loot. He says, follow me. And what, are, what is he calling them to do? To abandon all their earthly goods, to abandon their means of livelihood, and follow him. And then on the cusp of that, he says, therefore, do not worry. Don't worry. Your God knows what you need before you even need it. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all the stuff that you need will be added unto you. Sometime this week, just read Matthew 6 and consider what it says. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, which ties into what Jesus just said in Matthew 6. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Set your heart on things above, things that last. Have an eternal perspective, not a temporal passing perspective. Here's a warning shot that Paul gives Timothy. 1 Timothy 6, verses 6 through 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Just think about that one again. I just, I just uh, spoke, I led a funeral service last night, and that lady was cremated. There ain't nothing in that urn but her ashes. She's not taking money. She's not taking her Mustang convertible that she had. She's not taking anything. She came into this world naked and slimy with all that cheese-looking stuff on her, just like my kids did. And she died and is now a pile of ashes, physically speaking. And hopefully, by God's grace... She's in his presence. But we brought nothing in and we're taking nothing with us. So why hold on to it as if it is our life now? But if we have food and clothing, we will be be content with that. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with griefs. I don't know about you, but I would love to be rich. Having a, just a crap load of money in the bank sounds really nice. But then I read a verse like this and it scares the junk out of me. I would far rather be making enough to supply for my family and to be home loving my family and being present with them than have this career where I'm just climbing the corporate ladder, making 150 grand a year, and I never see my family. Now, that's just me. It doesn't make me better than the person who is climbing the corporate ladder and making 150000 Kudos to him. But guard your heart. I can't remember if it's the parable of the rich young ruler or where is that where it says that it's easier for for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than a rich man into the kingdom of God. Um, so materialism, I think, is the most significant obstacle. A love for self that results in a love for all this other stuff that, that comforts yourself. Hardship. I mean, some of us, frankly, would love the opportunity to give more, but we don't have a lot because of who knows what? Maybe there's been a loss of the main breadwinner of your family. Maybe you've lost a job. Maybe you've lost. Maybe you've been divorced, and you've you're you know paying a truckload in child support or alimony, or 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 maybe you know you're retired, and that pension that was promised to you just went to to the pot. Or maybe. The stock market crashed and your investments went from a million bucks to $300,000 and you're sitting there thinking, well, stink, I got nothing to live on now. I mean, scenario after scenario after scenario we could all walk through and hardship happens. But let me give you uh, just, let me give you two principles. I'm going to just skip the questions. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about tithe versus offering, but I think we're all good with that. We know that we're not in the Old Testament, we're not under the law, so we're not commanded to give a tithe per se. Um, you know, for some reason people think it's 10%, but I can't remember someone I heard give a statistic that if you actually calculated all the different tithes and taxes in the Old Testament, it was something like, I don't know, like 40% of your income. Like, well, stink, none of us are given that. So, <laughs> So do we really want to tithe? I'm not sure. <laughs> so, but an offering, right? I mean, it's a, a cheerful out of the in, uh, proportion to your income. We've already talked about it. But let me just give you two principles. One is, as best as I could recall, I remember Pastor Dorn saying one time that he always taught his son, spend less than you make and do that for a long time and you're going to be okay. Spend less than you make and do that over a long period of time and you're going to be okay. Well, that sounds pretty good. 
spend less than you make. Do that for a long time, and you're going to be okay. Now, he probably said it a little bit better than that. But, but that's but that's the gist, right? And I think that we all get that. Then another one, and this isn't a principle you need to write down, but I'm just going to quote the lyrics to the chorus of a song by Stephen Curtis Chapman. The song is called Yours. And it says, It's all yours, God, yours, God. Everything is yours, from the stars in the sky to the depths of the ocean floor. And it's all yours, God, yours, God. Everything is yours. You're the maker and keeper, father and ruler of everything. It's all yours. And when I look back and I look at that text from Acts, no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. That's it. It's all God's. He's the king. All of these are his treasures that we have been blessed to steward. So let's keep that in our minds and live lives of open-handedness. Not sitting there trying to protect and, and hoard, and but we make money to give money. And that doesn't mean that like you're somehow uh, a selfish person if you're making money and you're giving it to your family so that they can meet their needs. Like that's, guys at least, what you're supposed to be doing. Praise God for that. And look at your job as a means to provide for your family like God does. Um, but if you have money, be open-handed with it. If you have awesome TVs, Sally, be open-handed with those TVs. <laughs> just kidding. You just set me up. No, but you get the point. And so I think that probably out of all the lessons that we've looked at this semester, this one is the one that stings the most, at least to me. Uh, because it's really, really hard. Because we are Americanized Christians to the core. And we love ourselves self. <laughs> so this is a battle every day. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd free us from this materialistic, self-centered mindset that loves ourselves and wants comfort and, and just luxury. And, and, when, and then we start worrying. Not when... Uh, we wonder if our needs are going to be met. We start worrying, and I, I am like the chief of this. We start worrying when our comfort is threatened. And God, you've never promised a comfortable life. You've promised to meet our needs. And, and God, may we trust you for those things, um, but never um, put you uh, in, in demand of you to be a provider of what you've never promised. And, and help us to use the resources that you've so graciously given to us, um, not to garner some status, um, but that we would view each other as our community, as our brothers and sisters, as our family, and to have open hands with our money so that anytime we see needs, that we would be willing not only to give of what we have, but even to sacrifice and be uncomfortable at times for the sake of giving to other people who need. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen.